Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome to another week. Thank you. Excited to be here, as yeah, always. Always. We got another question. Okay. Yeah. Want to get geeky? You want to read it or do you want me to? I'll read it. This question is from Mike. Mike says, hi, Scott and James. I'm really enjoying your podcast and generally agree with your advice. <laughs> All right. I want to know what do you not agree with? Let's do an episode on that. That'd be fun. <laughs> Anyways, he says, I'm 37 years old and a personal investor who's focused on long-term investments for retirement. I have generally leveraged a higher risk strategy based on my age with index funds. My question is about the makeup of the S&P 500. And specifically, I'm concerned that the majority of these top stocks are large tech firms. It seems possible that we have seen the peak of these firms similar to the dot-com bubble, some rethinking continuing to invest to this risk or due to this risk of collapse. Can you help me understand how to manage that risk? All yeah, right. good question. Yeah, what goes up must come down. Yeah, there are always risks in whatever we do with investing. And I think that obviously we don't know specifically Mike's situation or anything, but I think we can reframe how we think about risk and how we can mitigate risk and how we can look to maximize returns through just having a conversation about the market. And to start, what Mike's saying, so the S&P 500, it's just an index that tracks about 500 of the biggest stocks in the United States. Yeah. So let's just talk about that briefly for a second. Let's just deconstruct what that S&P 500 is, right? Yep. S&P 500 is the standard and poor's 500 list. Basically, one time a year, they come out and they say, hey, this is the list of the 500. Actually, I think it's like 505 or 506. Yeah. Largest companies in the United States. And they reconstitute it one time a year. Mm -hmm. Every year that happens. They just show up and say, here's who the biggest companies are. And so then if you want to go buy an index of like the S&P 500, well, then some fund company like Vanguard or Fidelity or wherever you go buy your fund from, they license the ability to use that list and then they go build an index fund similar to that list. Now mm -hmm. there's different ways they can do that. There's replication, there's like <laughs> building it exactly or building a sample of it mm -hmm. for a different day. We'll maybe geek out on that sometime. But basically they're just saying, okay, here's the 500. I'm going to constitute the portfolio based on the size of these funds. And then I'll wait until next year when you tell me what the 500 are again. Yep. So as companies get larger, it's what's called market cap weighted, which means larger companies make up a bigger percentage of the index and smaller companies make up a smaller percentage of the index. Yeah. So the biggest companies in the world right now are the Apples and the Microsofts and the Googles and, and the Teslas. And so these are those high growth stocks. And so Mike's concern is he's saying, geez, I own the S&P 500 index, but it seems to me that too large a percentage of that index is concentrated in these tech stocks. And I have a fear that these tech stocks might crash, in which case my index as a whole might crash. And how do I de-risk against that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, you know, one of the things that hit me the moment I thought about this was just, you know, the S&P 500, when you hear something like the S&P 500 and you hear it's the 500 largest companies in the United States, I don't know about you, but there's this kind of feeling I get like, oh, they must be the same. 
They must have always been the same. Mm-hmm. Like the 500 largest companies just are what they are. Yeah. Right? Yep. But that's just not the case. <laughs> it is not. Changes all the time. Enlighten us on that. What is the case if that is not the case? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's really like, I think there's, we can dive into this a number of ways, but one of the ways to look at it is just, I found a good chart. It was from our friends over at Dimensional Funds and they used the data. They have part of this thing called the CRISP data that they have. It just goes back as far as back as you can take the data for the S&P 500. And they just went and looked at, okay, what were the top 10 stocks every decade? And how often did those things change? And, you know, back in the 1930s and 40s and 50s, like your top two didn't change for a long time. It was AT&T and General Motors. Yeah. The top 10 stocks of the S&P 500 in 1930 made up 27% of the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. Just so you understand, in 2020, the top 10 made up 22% of the S&P 500. Not a huge change there. The change is AT&T and General Motors aren't in the top <laughs> rankings anymore. Yep, They're long gone. And when you actually see the chart that we see in front of us, the key takeaway is who's on top changes a lot. Yes. But I think your point is well taken that it seem if you look at the S&P 500 today, it is true. The majority of that is concentrated in a handful of stocks. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not necessarily a new phenomenon. As you're pointing out, in 1960, when the top five companies were AT&T, General Motors, DuPont, ExxonMobil, what was the fifth here? General Electric. Yeah. Over 31% of the S&P 500 index was made up of the top 10 companies that year. Mm-hmm. 1940, a third of the S&P 500. And granted, I don't even know if there's 500 companies in the index at that point. Who That's knows? probably something That's for me to question. get educated on. Mm-hmm. But the top 10 companies, they made up a third of the entire share of the index. Today, yes, it is a lot if you compare it to like 2010, when in 2010, the top 10 companies made up 16% of the index. But it's not necessarily something that hasn't happened before. I think what is important to know is that if you look back the last four or five decades, the company that was the largest company at the end of each decade was not the largest company at the end of the following decade. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to look at this and say, wow, how could it not be Apple or Microsoft or Amazon or Google that are going to be the company when 2030 rolls around or 2040 rolls around? In the same way that in 1980, it was hard to see how could it not be IBM that's going to be the top company? How could it not be AT&T? How could it not be Exxon or General Electric? Mm-hmm. Because that's all you know. Who could have thought of Apple and Microsoft and Amazon and Google in the 1980s? No one could have. But that's kind of why we invest. That's the innovation that's happening all the time. The question, I think, is how do we avoid getting burned as some of these companies do go under? I mean, if you look back way back to 1930, Con Edison, New York Central Railroad, Penn Central, Philadelphia, those are the top 10 companies that don't exist today. Kodak was a top 10 company in the 1960s and the 1970s. It doesn't exist anymore. Well, that, it doesn't exist. It's, kinda, it's not what it was. Yeah, used that, to be. that kind of gets to the next point that I think needs to be made. Like to Mike's point, he's saying I'm investing for the long term. I'm investing for retirement. But then he went and said, like, I'm worried that I'm going to make a, a wrong choice here by should I be changing something? Right. It's kind of the essence what I'm getting in that question. Mm-hmm. Right. The next thing to kind of look at for what you're pointing at of all those companies that were in the top 10, but aren't anymore. Some aren't around anymore. Yeah. Some were bought by other companies. You know, the lifespan of companies it seems to be getting shorter and shorter. So there was a piece of data we tracked down. I think it was Insights research on creative destruction. And the 
average tenure of a company on the S&P 500 in 1964 was 33 years. Mm -hmm. So like once they made it, they were there for, you know, a good portion of someone's lifetime. Mm -hmm. You get to 2016 and it narrowed to 24 years. And the projection is that by 2027, it could be down to like 12 years. Yeah. So basically who stays in the largest company category could get smaller and smaller. Like the tenure could be shorter and shorter. Yeah. Which could mean that more companies are coming on faster, growing faster. We've seen that with, you know, I mean, Facebook launched when I was in college, which is a long time ago now, but it's not a long time ago, mm -hmm. it's, you know, 20, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, it's one of the bigger companies in the world. Yeah. That wasn't normal. Yeah. Back, and it can be now. Yeah. So like to think that you can't fathom who's going to be the winner 20 years from now, well, it's kind of makes sense. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There's two ways you could think about this. On the one hand, it's like, wow, that's really scary. Like what you're telling me is I could invest in a company and that company could not be around in a decade or two. And as we're seeing here, just by the data, that is true. Like more and more, this sense of creative destruction, that's kind of what in large part capitalism is based upon is newer, better, more innovative ways of doing things come around. And that's very good for the new companies and society as a whole even, but it means that there is destruction of what is old. And so you look at this, like BlackBerry, for example, used to be a pretty big company, pretty right. relevant. Right. Then Apple comes along. Or you look at Kodak, used to be a very relevant large company. It no longer is. And so as right. we're looking at this, yes, the individual companies can and do go out of business, but it's because something better comes along. BlackBerry goes under because an Apple comes into play. So to an extent, and we'll touch base on this again later, but by owning, say, the entire S&P 500 or by owning the entire market, well, when that replacement company comes or that next thing comes along, you're still owning it. So there's less of a need to be concerned about, is this a thing that's being displaced or not? This is exactly the point that I wanted us to get to. It's the idea that, you know, if you tried to pick and choose the winners of who's going to win next or oh, I'm going to go, you know, I should get out of these US investments now because they're so tech heavy and tech is just isn't going to work. The S&P 500 return over time on average is around 10%. Mm -hmm. Companies inside of that, their average return was not 10%. Yeah. <laughs> As a whole, it is. Yeah. But there are a lot who did tremendously well. There are many who went out of business, who got consolidated. All of these things happen along the way. And the benefit of diversification is that you don't have to figure out who's going to win and lose. Yeah. And we go look at the academic research of like, try to figure out who wins and loses. And we see again and again that we're actually really poor, even the professionals at picking who's going to win and lose. Yeah. But the good news is you don't have to know. Exactly. And I think we were talking about this before, but when Scott and I talk about diversify and spread your money out and do it this way. It's not because we're boring investors and just want slow, low, but steady returns. We're saying that because we want the absolute best possible returns for mm -hmm. our clients, given obviously certain constraints or risk parameters or whatever it may be. But the reason we preach diversification is because this is what happens and because it works over time. And it's, in our opinion, the best way to grow your wealth, not just the way to do what might appear to be safe. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that is the key. It's really all about letting your money go to work for you. And at the same time, and it is kind of, it's a challenge, right? It's like investing is one of the few places where, especially if you grew up thinking like, if I learn more, 
if I'm smarter than the next guy, if I just train harder, if you grew up as an athlete, right, you can gain a competitive advantage. This is one of the few places in the being in the markets where like being average usually makes you above average. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it. But it's very, it's a very hard pill to swallow mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> for some people. You want, and you've, but also like the other component that I kind of felt in the question, it's like, hey, this has done really, really well for a long time. Clearly it's not going to. So what should I do next? And it's like, well, why are we feeling this way? We're feeling this way because it is down now. Right. Because it is, it is down now and right. it could stay down now right. for quite some time. But that's happened in the past. It has happened in the past and we were looking at just specific examples. So the reason we invest, by the way, is because we expect the market to continue to hit new all-time highs. It's not this kind of dance where you have to get out when things are high and get back in when things are low and then get back out when things are high and get back out in when things are low. Things continue to hit all-time highs. That's why we invest. And even if you looked you know, to his question, he was talking about this feels like the tech bubble all over again. Well, pull an individual stock out of there. Like, look, look at Microsoft. Microsoft got hammered during the tech bubble. Yeah. It lost 65% of its value. When you look at the value of Microsoft on January 1st, 2000, it took 15 to 16 years for it to recover mm -hmm. after it just got absolutely hammered. Mm -hmm. But if you zoom out and say, what if you looked at January 1st, 2000 until today, it's had an average return of 9 to 10% per year, yeah. which is really, really good in terms of generating tremendous wealth over time, but you went 15 years with nothing. And then a ton of that came on the back end. So even right. if you're invested, we know that some of the things that we're invested in, they are going to be down 30, 40, 50, 60%, some yep. individual components. Yep. But is that reason to give up on them? Absolutely not. The people who gave up on Microsoft after 15 years of negative returns are very upset they gave up on Microsoft just as an individual example. Absolutely. Which again goes back to the idea of why if you like investing broadly in the markets, you're if you're investing in everything, you're not going to miss out on those returns that would after 15 years, you might think like, there's no way this thing ever comes back. Exactly. And it does. It does. And you can capture that return. And now granted, not everything does. There are things that don't, but that's the beauty of not trying to pick individual things or even trying to worry about timing it. Good luck doing so, but better luck just continuing the course and owning the right types of things. But that being said, there still is, it's not just go dump your money into something and let it sit. We still right. want to build a good portfolio. And as we're doing that, and we're going to be talking about how do you diversify? Let's talk about that. How do you diversify to? Well, I just wanted to bring that. up that like we're talking a lot about the S&P 500, which is one index for the 500 largest companies in the United States. But if you want to go look at the global, you know, stock market, now, these numbers are probably a little lower now because the last numbers I had were December of 2021, but the United States made up 60% of the world stock market, $53 trillion, and you could invest in a little over 4,000 companies. Yeah. The developed countries outside of the US, so that'd be countries like the United Kingdom and France and Germany and Japan, Australia, they made up about 27% of the world market and about $24 trillion. And then you had what we call emerging markets. And there are about 7,400 companies there, by the way. And then you have emerging markets, which has about 9,200 companies, we'll say, and about 10 trillion of assets. And it's about 12% of the world's market. Yeah. So there are all these places you can go invest. The reason we bring them up is because, you know, a period of time where like 
James and I aren't going to tell you what's going to happen in the future because we don't know. And anyone, honestly, who tells you what they know, I personally think you should probably just run away from them as quickly as possible. If they really knew, they probably wouldn't be telling you. They'd be sitting on a yacht somewhere trading their own money. But if you think about like where are things going to go, you know, if you go back to like the dot-com bubble last time, well, the US market still did well in the end, but there was a period of time when it didn't do as well. Mm-hmm. If you only invested in the US, that was a problem, right? But you could hedge your bets by investing in international markets and emerging markets. And if you did that, well, the S&P 500 for the 2000s had a negative, a slightly negative return, Yeah. right? If you invested globally in a portfolio, you had a slightly positive return, Yeah. right? You did better. We've looked at that in a previous episode. Yeah. Yeah, fully agree. So going back to this chart that you were talking about, I know people can't see it, but just talking about how many companies there are, how many trillions of dollars these companies make up in market capitalization. There's well over 20,000 companies you can invest in around the world. The S&P 500 makes up a little bit more than 500 of those. So as we're looking at it, now granted, these are the largest companies. So in terms of total percentage of the world represented by S&P 500 companies, it's a larger percentage. But there's over 20,000 companies that you can invest in that are outside of the S&P 500. Yeah. So as we're crafting portfolios, how do we have an understanding that, yes, there are going to be ups and downs? And do we know what's going to happen next with tech or any other asset class? No, absolutely not. But by diversifying within that asset class, by diversifying within other asset classes, by understanding the time horizon we have between where we are today and when we'll need some of these funds, by doing other things that make us better investors, the worry about where the market's headed next starts to dissipate a little bit as you start to understand how do these things perform over time, knowing that well-diversified portfolios do perform extraordinarily well over time, and the risk of losing all your money is next up can't say nothing, but it's extremely small. But if that happens, we're probably worried way more about like how to survive a day than we are about like what the stock. We're not podcasting and investing anymore. (laughs) We're finding food and having bigger issues to solve at that point. Yeah. If everything goes to zero. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, I think that's as far as like how to manage the risk, which is basically the question that Mike was getting at. I think the key to managing the risk is to stay globally diversified and to let the portfolios work for you. And to honestly not worry too much about what's in favor and out of favor. Yeah. And to zoom out. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it looks like there's a tremendous amount of risk when you look at daily returns or monthly returns or quarterly returns. There's a whole bunch of movement. When you start to look at, okay, I think you said he's 37 years old, say two, three decades until retirement. Yeah, 60. Which is what he's yeah. investing for. 30 years from now, exactly. It's almost boring how consistent the stock market is when you look at it rolling 20-year, 30-year periods. But it's very scary when you look at daily returns or monthly or quarterly even. So I think zooming out and understanding the big picture is also uh, key to that. Absolutely. And to your point, the creative destruction that happens along the way makes us feel uneasy. But it's always been happening. (laughs) It's always been happening. Yep. That's why we don't ride horses to work and still have cotton looms for clothing production. Exactly. But, But it is part of it. Awesome. Well, anything else you'd add to this? No, I think that's a good overview. Thanks for the question. Please keep them coming. That is right. Keep them coming. Where can people find you, Scott? I think some people are reaching out saying, hey, if we want to follow you in other places, what's your website? What's the social profile that you are on? Website, stonestepsfinancial.com. If you guys ever want to learn more about services that we offer and how we can help. The Twitter handle, Scott underscore R underscore Frank. Scott underscore R underscore Frank. That's where you are. Awesome. How about you? 
I am at rootfinancialpartners.com. Very inactive on Twitter. Yeah. But YouTube is where I'm more active. Which awesome. is also Root Financial Partners. So Sweet. easy enough. Cool. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Check us out there if you want to find out more and we will see you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.